Good Wednesday morning, President Biden in Israel as we speak. A moment of rage and accusation across the Middle East. It is October 18th. This is today. Breaking news in the war zone. President Biden greeting Israel's prime minister this morning with an embrace and full-throated support of Israel. I want the people of Israel, the people of the world, to know where the United States stands. Straight ahead, how the president plans to address the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza and the fate of Americans still held hostage there, where they are live. Deadly strike, hundreds killed in an explosion at a hospital in Gaza. Hamas blaming Israeli airstrikes. Israel's military releasing video and audio evidence they say shows it was another jihadist group, not them. Massive protests erupt across the region, including at U.S. embassies. We'll have the very latest. Take two, the House set to vote on the next speaker again this morning after Jim Jordan falls short in his first try. We've had good conversations, we're gonna keep working. Just ahead, the Republicans who voted against him and the scramble to flip their votes as the chaos on Capitol Hill enters its third week. New twist, Alec Baldwin expected to be recharged in that fatal shooting on the set of the Rust movie. The evidence just discovered that prosecutors believe makes him responsible. In court, Joran Vandersloot, the prime suspect in the Natalie Holloway case facing a judge in Alabama today. Will her family finally get answers 18 years after her mysterious disappearance? We're live at the courthouse. Those stories plus breaking snooze. When you reach for that button after the alarm goes off, is it helping or hurting? The surprising takeaways about your health that could change your morning routine today, Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Oda Cutby, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Everybody, good Wednesday morning. Nice to have you along with us. Let's get right to that breaking news. The president in Israel this morning. Yeah, he touched down around 4 a.m. Eastern time, heading right into meetings with Prime Minister Netanyahu and Israeli first responders. But the trip, which was supposed to include a meeting in Jordan with the presidents of Egypt and the Palestinian Authority, that's being cut short. The reason? A major escalation in the war. Hundreds killed in a huge blast at a Gaza hospital. Hamas immediately blaming Israel for that attack. Israel says the explosion was caused by a misfired rocket launched by a different terrorist group known as Islamic Jihad. That bombing has sparked major protests overnight, several pro-Palestinian groups clashing with police in parts of the West Bank, Lebanon, Turkey, and Jordan. Uh, we've got it all covered this morning. Let's start with NBC's Lester Holt. He's in Tel Aviv. Lester, good morning. Savannah, good morning. The president in an active war zone here today. It's a risky mission to restart diplomacy, but events have been quickly getting ahead of the president. Arab leaders canceling an important summit meeting and Hezbollah now calling for a day of unprecedented anger against Israel and President Biden's visit. President Joe Biden making a fraught wartime visit to a region on the brink. Biden meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, showing support and solidarity with the country. I wanted to be here today uh, for a simple reason. I want the people of Israel, the people of the world, to know where the United States stands. 
After the massacre by Hamas that killed at least 1,400 Israelis and 31 Americans, Biden had planned to meet with key Arab leaders, including the Palestinian Authority president, in an effort to open humanitarian supply lines into Gaza. That summit now scrapped after a blast leveled a working hospital in southern Gaza Tuesday, leaving hundreds dead and hundreds more wounded. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. Each side blaming the other. The hospital explosion fueling protests raging around the Middle East. This morning, President Biden seeming to accept Israel's version of events. It appears as though it was done by the other team. The president still focused on the hostages being held by Hamas. Uh, They've taken scores of people hostage including children. You said, imagine what those children hiding from Hamas were thinking. We spoke with the families of those being held, including the mother of Mia Shem, shown here in a video released by Hamas. We're not sure when the video was taken. So when I saw her, I saw my baby alive. So at first I started to scream, and then I started to scream from happiness. And with the parents of American hostage, Hirsch Goldberg, Poland. We know he got on the truck himself without an arm, and that's it. Now, I don't know how to tie a tourniquet. I don't know how long it takes you to bleed out when you have a wound like that. It wasn't severed. It was blown off. He might have died in that truck. He may have never made it to Gaza. So many heartbreaking stories. Uh, And Lester, how close is the president going to actually be to the front lines today? Well, he is in central Tel Aviv, where we are. The front lines, Gaza gates are about 40 miles from here, so it's unlikely he will see any of the fighting. However, we can tell you this area gets daily uh, air raid warnings from uh, rockets being fired from Hamas territory. Savannah? Lester, thank you. We will see you tonight on NBC Nightly News. Let us now bring in NBC's chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel. He's in the West Bank for us. He's following the protests that have erupted in the wake of that hospital blast. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. We are now in the city of Ramallah, Palestinian-run city on the West Bank. There were violent demonstrations here last night. More demonstrations and potentially clashes are expected to start soon after what Palestinian officials now say were 500 people killed in that attack, in that explosion at the hospital in Gaza. Israel disputes the number and says it wasn't responsible. Rage is erupting across the Arab world. Thousands of protesters converged on the U.S. Embassy in Beirut. We're here to to let the Arab people wake up. In Turkey, demonstrators rushed the Israeli consulate in Istanbul. They're all reacting to what Palestinians call a massacre, that explosion at the Al-Ahli Hospital in Gaza City. I heard an almighty screech followed by a large explosion. Part of the ceiling of the operating room fell. Bodies can be seen laying on the ground. Children among the victims. Hamas says it was an Israeli airstrike. Israel emphatically denies that. The military saying the deadly explosion was caused by a Palestinian rocket that misfired, launched not by Hamas, but another Palestinian militant group in Gaza called Islamic Jihad, which says the accusation is false. 
Israel shared footage it claims to show the rocket heading toward Israel, then changing direction and crashing into Gaza. We confirmed that there was no IDF fire by land, sea or air that hit the hospital. The Israeli military says communication it intercepted prove Hamas knows Israel isn't responsible and is using the blast to stoke anger. If that's true or not, seems to make little difference. This could be a tipping point, spreading the war across the Middle East. In Gaza, Hamas continues to hold hundreds of hostages, including Americans and other foreign nationals. We spoke to a senior Hamas official who says the group is willing to free civilians. I'm sorry, you th are you, can I just clarify this? You say you're willing to release all of the civilians, including the Israeli nationals? If there is a stopping, including the Israeli civilians and all the foreigners. And what are you asking for in order to do that? Do you want the airstrikes to stop? Is that the condition? To stop the aggression. So that our our viewers might hear that and say that this offer doesn't mean anything. That if you're not willing to carry it out, then it doesn't mean anything. How? Well, if you stop the aggression, it can be implemented over the next hour. Hamas is also holding Israeli soldiers. The groups tell me in order to free them, they want the release of all Palestinian prisoners held in Israeli jails. Hold up, back to you. All right, Richard Engel for us there at the West Bank, Ramallah. Uh, Richard, thank you. Savannah? A lot of accusations flying here. We want to take a closer look at this hospital bombing, including what is next in the search for answers. We brought NBC's Stephanie Goskier to look at and, and really walk through the specifics, and we'll go through each side. Yeah. The Israeli Defense Forces put out an array of what they call evidence this morning, demonstrating that it was not Israeli airstrikes, but rather a, a, a competing Islamic group that led to this explosion. Uh, that's right, Savannah. And it's really important to point out right out of the gate that we as journalists aren't in Gaza. We are not allowed in there. We can't look at some of these claims firsthand, and particularly when it comes to the kind of damage that's done. And if we look at what the IDF is saying, the Israeli military, there are a number of points, and, and the damage is really among those points. They talk about the fact that it wasn't a direct hit, Israelis say. It was actually more the parking lot, and that there wasn't peripheral damage around the buildings that would suggest it was an IDF missile strike. They then go on to say that a missile strike from the IDF would, would make a crater, a significant crater, um, between, they say, 22 to about 60 feet or so, and no crater there exists. We, we have seen in the images that have been shown a, a small crater. You can see here, the, this is the size of the craters from, from their previous attacks. Um, and then, and then finally, they point out that Hamas, they say, realized early on that this was Islamic jihad and then decided to go on a global media campaign to say it was the Israelis and, according to the IDF, even inflate the casualty numbers. Okay, so now let's do the flip side, because obviously Hamas says it wasn't Islamic jihad, it was the Israelis. Okay, and this is what makes this so difficult, because they say, look at the damage, which is exactly what the IDF says, and they say the damage is significant. And and beyond that, they say that they were there was a warning that went out by the IDF to, to flee the area and the hospital specifically right before the attack. They also say that the angle of the bomb, the way that it came in and the amount of damage was done that was done um, makes it at least suggest that it was an Israeli attack. And then finally, um, they point out that in the past, 
the IDF has characterized incidents and had to walk them back, specifically the killing of a Palestinian journalist who the IDF originally said was shot by Palestinian militia. Instead, it turned out that it was the IDF. Again, we can't be there on the ground to verify either of these claims. We are beholden in this situation to interpretation, Savannah. Yeah. In the case of the Palestinian journalist, the IDF later came and said, in fact, it was it was, it was our forces Israeli sometime forces. later. Okay. Yes. Stephanie, thank you very much. Hoda. All right. 712. We're going to welcome Craig to the table. Hey, Craig, good morning. Hey, Hoda, good morning to you. And good morning to you as well. Back here, new chaos on Capitol Hill this morning where the House remains at a standstill with Republicans struggling to agree on the next Speaker of the House. Conservative firebrand Jim Jordan scrambling to find enough support after failing significantly, falling significantly short of winning the gavel in the first round of voting. We've got two reports this morning, and we'll start with NBC senior Capitol Hill correspondent Gary Haight. Gary, good morning to you. Hey, Craig, good morning. Yeah, the House is set to reconvene at 11 this morning for a second round of votes. But after hours of private negotiations on Tuesday and with frustrations growing among lawmakers, we may not be any closer to seeing a speaker elected today. Tomorrow. This morning, hard right Ohio Republican Jim Jordan vowing to keep fighting for the speaker's gavel. we got to have the speaker and it can't be some deal with the Democrats. We're going to keep working. Tuesday's failed vote was the first of any kind on the House floor since the ouster of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy 15 days ago. Backed by former President Trump and 199 of his GOP colleagues, Jordan still came up 17 votes short of the outright majority he needs to claim the speakership. 20 Republicans from across the geographic and ideological expanse of the GOP opposing him. From Colorado's Ken Buck. I am concerned that Congressman Jordan um, uh, has not uh, agreed to to say that uh, Donald Trump lost the election and Joe Biden won the election. To Florida's Carlos Jimenez. I think Kevin McCarthy was the the, the choice of the conference. 96% of us voted to maintain him as speaker. And as Jordan and his allies scrambled overnight to lock down additional GOP votes, House Democrats say they're open to working with Republicans to select a speaker on a bipartisan basis, as long as that speaker is not Jim Jordan. Paging my traditional Republican colleagues, it's time to get off the sidelines, break away from the extremists, get in the arena so we can find a bipartisan path forward. Several anti-Jordan Republicans have also complained about the hardball tactics used by he and by his team. Nebraska Republican Don Bacon, who opposed Jordan, sharing with NBC News these threatening texts that he says were sent to his wife anonymously, pressuring him to support Jordan. One even saying her husband would never hold elected office again. Jordan has distanced himself from any of those tactics, but the pressure campaign against these more moderate members is clearly backfiring. Craig. So, Garrett, let's talk about where we go from here. This is another big day for Jim Jordan. What does it look like for him on day two as he tries to lock down these votes? Well, Jordan and his team never thought they could win this on the first ballot. So they know they were going to have another vote today. Their goal was to see where the opposition was and then basically play whack-a-mole to try to get support. The problem is there were way more moles than they anticipated. So Jordan needs to try to turn some of those 20 Republican no votes into yes votes today. If he can't do that and if he actually ends up losing support, which a number of Republicans have suggested may be the case, it's hard to see how he keeps going in this bid and how we don't end up back at Square zero of Republicans searching for a candidate, anybody who can get to 217, Craig.
All right. Our senior Capitol Hill correspondent, Garrett Haight. Garrett, thank you. I want to turn to Kristen Welker now, moderator of Meet the Press. Kristen, it's worth taking a step back and just note how almost unprecedented this is. Usually when there's a speaker vote, they already have the votes lined up. It's a sure thing before the vote is brought to the House. Now we've seen this happen twice in one year, first with Kevin McCarthy in his 15 rounds, now Jim Jordan, uh, and we have no speaker for weeks. Savannah, you're right. I mean, this is unprecedented. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who you just mentioned, who was ousted, had to endure 15 rounds of voting back in January until he was finally elected. It was the longest speaker battle for speakers since 1859. Of course, that was right before the Civil War. Now the question becomes, how long will this showdown last that we're watching? We're already two weeks into this, right? And Jim Jordan today, as Garrett was just saying, is poised for another vote that's expected to fail. And as you say, Savannah, usually you don't come up for a vote unless you actually have the votes. And Jordan definitely doesn't have them, at least not yet. Here's what you're basically seeing, okay? You are seeing the moderates in the House rising up and saying enough is enough against the hardliners. Remember how this all started. A handful of far-right Republicans decided to oust Speaker McCarthy for working with Democrats to avert a government shutdown. So here you have a moment where moderates are saying they want to see a different type of leadership they want someone who will be able to govern. Savannah, not clear how this ends yet. Well, that brings us to the next question, which is Congress is paralyzed in the middle of all of this. And we have issues about aid to Israel, to Ukraine, not to mention that government shutdown looming again. That's right. It means Congress cannot get anything done right now with a massive amount on its plate. As you say, at the top of the agenda, the White House requesting $100 billion in aid for Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan. In addition to that, yes, you do have that government shutdown less than a month away. Big picture. I have been talking to a broad swath of Republicans, and they're just frustrated. They feel like Republicans in Congress are throwing away their hard-fought majority. And the Republicans I've been talking to are worried that all of this could cost them at the ballot box in 2024. An increasingly likely scenario, by the way, is that the temporary speaker, Patrick McHenry, an ally of former Speaker McCarthy, is given enhanced powers so that the House can get back to work. Savannah, we're watching it all very closely. All right. Big story on Capitol Hill there. Kristen, thank you. Let's get a check of the weather. Mr. Roker. Well, we've got some loyalties here that'll be tested as far as your weather is concerned because we got another wet weekend uh, lining up for the Northeast. Frontal system today, uh, tomorrow, I should say, bringing showers to the Great Lakes, areas of rain all the way into the Tennessee River Valley. Friday, rain and storms along that front, and then a secondary system develops along the mid-Atlantic. And so here we go. Our I-95 weekend jinx continues. Uh, We've had Boston eight out of the last 10 weekends. New York, same thing. And Philadelphia, five out of the last 10 for Washington, D.C. Well, guess what? <laughs> Saturday, the system tracks along I-95, cloudy and rainy here in the Northeast on Saturday. Blustery winds on Sunday. Boston, we got a possibility three to uh, three quarters of an inch of rain. New York, about a half an inch. Philly, a quarter of an inch, one tenth of an inch in Washington, D.C. Sunday looks better, but Saturday, not so nice. And that's your latest weather, guys. Yeah, Oh, thank you. Still ahead, new legal trouble for Alec Baldwin this morning. The new evidence just coming to light, according to prosecutors in the Rust movie set shooting, that has them ready to recharge him with involuntary manslaughter. Plus an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at Amazon as we head into the busy holiday season. Vicky's going to show us the cutting-edge new technology aimed at getting your orders to you faster than ever. But first, this is Today on NBC.
Listen up, true crime fans. It's a big murder trial underway. This Dateline is launching a new podcast with Andrea Canning. Welcome to Dateline True Crime Weekly. We'll cover breaking crime news around I mean, the country. It is the twists, the turns, the With the best reporters on the case, NBC News analysts, and Dateline producers on Far the ground. Over. Break it down for us. Just You'll just get fresh just... insights and behind-the-scenes scoops from crime scenes to courtrooms. That is bizarre. Stay in the, the know and up-to-date. So tell us what he said. It Follow Dateline True Crime Weekly to get new episodes starting Thursday. Wherever you get your podcasts. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console consoling. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet, Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators, now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. This is our beautiful corner of the world, the 18th of October, 2023. Got an energetic, great group outside. We're going to get out there soon, say hey, visit in just a little bit. So it's nice to see them here. Did you see Mr. Lincoln? The founding fathers out there. Oh, I guess Lincoln wasn't a founding father. He was the yeah, Don't at me, Twitter or X or whatever you're called. I know. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Oh, An American icon, Abe yeah. Lincoln, outside. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll get yes. outside to yes. talk to Honest Abe in just a moment, but we do have a busy half hour ahead. We're going to start with those new developments in the Rust movie set shooting. Yeah, well, remember, charges were dropped against Alec Baldwin just five months ago, but this morning, the actor appears to be facing new legal troubles in the case. NBC's Chloe Malas on the story for us. Chloe, good morning. Chloe. Good morning. Prosecutors now telling NBC News that they do plan to recharge Alec Baldwin with involuntary manslaughter and the fatal 2021 shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins, and they are citing new evidence that they believe makes him culpable for her death. Nearly two years after Alec Baldwin fatally shot cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the Russ movie set, a stunning new plot twist in the case. New Mexico prosecutors want to recharge the actor and producer with involuntary manslaughter. This after dismissing the same charge against Baldwin in April. The special prosecutor telling NBC News, based on our lengthy and detailed investigation, it is appropriate for a grand jury to make a decision on whether the case should proceed. Two sources familiar with the investigation say that prosecutors had recently discussed with Baldwin pleading to a lesser charge, but that offer was rescinded over the weekend. One source tells us that the case, which will be brought before a grand jury in mid-November, came together after prosecutors found new evidence that they believe connects Baldwin to recklessness around safety standards on the set. The film's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, was previously charged with involuntary manslaughter earlier this year. Her trial is set to start in February. In a statement, attorneys for Baldwin say that they will answer any charges in court and that it is unfortunate that a terrible tragedy has been turned into this misguided prosecution. It was during a Rust set rehearsal in 2021 that Baldwin's prop gun fired a live round of ammunition, killing Hutchins and injuring the director. In interviews, Baldwin has maintained that the gun had malfunctioned. Well, I didn't pull the trigger. I feel that, that, that uh, someone is responsible for what happened, and I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. But in August, this gun analysis report commissioned by prosecutors found that the gun was functioning properly, contradicting Baldwin's claim that he did not pull the trigger. 
Hutchins' husband, Matthew, telling Hoda last year that he believes Baldwin's actions led to Helena's death. The idea that the person holding the gun causing it to discharge is not responsible is absurd to me. Matthew Hutchins also settled a wrongful death civil suit against Alec Baldwin and the film's producers last year. Now, we have reached out to him for comment, but have yet to hear back. Also, production on the Russ movie resumed earlier this year and wrapped in May. No word yet if its release date will be delayed now. All right, Chloe, thank you. Let's get more perspective on this from Laura Jarrett, our senior legal correspondent and co-anchor of Weekend Today. Laura, here we are again. This case comes back. How strong is this case now that the prosecutors say there's new evidence? So it's been fraught from the very beginning. We all remember that the prosecutor was taken off of it after she was also serving as in the legislature. They had to reduce the charges because what they initially charged him with wasn't even a crime at the time of the shooting. Now, thanks to Chloe's great reporting, we understand they believe they have found new evidence that connects some sort of recklessness as they think he, you know, did something on set. We don't know what that is yet, but it's got to be pretty significant because there's still some major holes here. We still don't know exactly how did that live round get on set. And remember, they're still going to have to convince a jury that an actor actually has a duty to open the gun and check it and make sure a live round isn't on the gun. That's their whole theory of the case. I think that's a really high bar for them. I could have sworn we said last time we did this story, like this story's over. He's not going to be charged. Well, now, what is the defense's strongest argument here? I think it still goes back to the fact that he relied on the experts, the people who told him there is a cold gun, which means there is not a live round. And is it an actor really the one who's supposed to go and check it? You're going to say, actually, no, I'm Mm -hmm. supposed to rely on the experts. And I think a jury might find that persuasive. Again, also this whole issue with whether the gun was modified or not, right? Now they're saying, actually, the gun wasn't modified. Well, before you said it was. So again, I think all of this adds up to reasonable doubt Mm -hmm. for, at least for a jury, that's going to be the hurdle. So the grand jury that's going to actually see this, this new evidence Charges filed, charges dropped, charges filed again. Will the grand jury get any of that? Will they find out about that? No. Remember how one-sided the presentation to the grand jury is. That is just the prosecutor driving that. They are the ones in control. Alec Baldwin's defense team isn't there. He doesn't obviously show up to it. The prosecutor is the one who gets to make their presentation. Now, of course, a grand jury could always decide, you know what? We think this case is weak. We're actually not going to indict him. They have that option. But again, the prosecutor is really the one telling the full story. That would be pretty rare. I mean, everybody thinks the grand jury essentially does what the prosecutor asks it to do. Just real quickly, there were plea discussions. Mm -hmm. They fell apart for some reason. We don't necessarily know why. Is there a possibility that this could be a pressure campaign to try to get that plea deal back going? It's always a possibility that that could be back on the table. And depending on how the evidence actually shakes out, if I'm the prosecutor, I might actually want this case to have a plea deal, have him plead to some lesser charge and then make it all go away. But if I'm Alec Baldwin's attorney, I might actually want to take this to trial. All right. All right. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Laura. Straight ahead, nearly 20 years later. Could Natalie Holloway's family finally get answers to her disappearance today? We are live at the Alabama courthouse where the main suspect in that case is facing a judge. But first, Vicky's checking out new high-tech help that could make you very happy this holiday season. Hey, good morning, guys. I'm in Boston at an Amazon Innovation Lab. This is where they test out all kinds of new technology to get your packages to you faster and more sustainably. Technology like these robots. I'm Vicki Wynn with an exclusive behind-the-scenes look just in time for the holidays. That's next, right here on Today. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration 
when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. If you ever needed to be persuaded that bad things can happen anywhere, then take a journey with us. From compelling mysteries to in-depth investigations, our Dateline episodes are available as podcasts. Follow Dateline NBC now to get new episodes every Tuesday. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Great storytelling with a twist from the True Crime Original. We're back 741. Today's consumer, the busy holiday shipping season will be here before you know it. And this morning, we've got an exclusive look at new ways that Amazon is hoping to change how you get your orders. NBC's Vicky Wynn took a trip to one of the retail giants, Innovation Labs. It was so cool. They actually give public tours of this place. Good morning. Today, Amazon is officially unveiling some new cutting-edge delivery technology. I'm going to show you what happens when I place an order and show you how it gets to my doorstep. We're also going to take you behind the scenes to show you how the company is working to get your orders out faster and more sustainably than ever. From robots to artificial intelligence, Amazon says it's revolutionizing the way consumers get their orders. It comes as e-commerce sales are predicted to grow at least 10% this holiday season, reaching $278 billion, according to Deloitte. Amazon alone estimated to deliver 13.5 million parcels each day. And it's all about innovation. I'm inside Boss 27. This is a state-of-the-art facility just outside of Boston. And with me now is Amazon's chief technologist for robotics, Ty Brady. Ty, thanks for being here. My pleasure. So this is the first time the public will see some of the new technology you are rolling out for the holidays. What happens in a lab like this? We are reimagining the future of robotics so that you can do your holiday shopping even better. Today, Amazon launches Sequoia, its brand new robotic system in Houston. The company says it's capable of stocking merchandise 75% more quickly and delivering your orders 25% faster. What was the problem you were trying to solve with Sequoia? We want to offer a wider selection for our customers. We want to do that in a very efficient manner so they can pass on a low cost to our customers. Brady says Sequoia also makes it safer for employees, reducing the number of accidents and repetitive stress injuries. So you don't have to get on a ladder, you don't have to bend down on your knees, you don't have to reach up uh, really high. They're able to bring these totes from the warehouse to okay, a workstation so like this, where I met up with David so Guerin, who helped design and build Sequoia. A machine has gotten this item out of the warehouse, brought it over here, and now what happens? Now the associate finds the item um, that's up on the screen. So we take it out. This is a yellow phone we, case. We scan it. Okay. We put it in uh, a tote to be sent to another part of the building for packaging. We let the system know it's, it's, it's in there. And then this will cycle through and deliver us another tote to pick something else out of. And just how do those towers move around? 
Meet Hercules. Today is graduation day. The Finnish robots form a line and drive themselves onto their own shipping pallets, where they'll head off to work at fulfillment centers around the world. Amazon is also introducing Digit. This new bipedal robot can grab and move orders in warehouse spaces not designed for humans. So I think something a lot of people are curious about is what happens between the time they click buy now and the product arrives at their doorstep. You're going to walk me through that. Sounds good. Okay, so I'm going to buy what is a bestseller on Amazon right All now. All right, very good. The Instant Pot. It's going to be hot this holiday too. Be hot, right on your phone, ready to go. Okay, I'm going to add it to my cart. By the time you did that, yeah. I've sourced every Instant Pot inside our network to figure out what's the best way to, to bring that to your house. The system found my Instant Pot at a fulfillment center in Penns Grove, New Jersey. From there, it was driven to Carteret, New Jersey, where it was boxed, labeled, and loaded onto another truck, headed for a distribution center in the Bronx. That's where the delivery van picked it up and dropped it off the next day at 6.48 p.m. to me. Welcome to my office. The company also has more than 10,000 Rivian electric vans across the U.S. to reduce its environmental impact. Branson Ramirez drives one. I can do about 150 stops, uh, maybe 250 to 300 packages. New technology evolving to get us what we want faster and more sustainably this holiday season. And here's the thing. Amazon is not alone in gearing up for the holidays. Retailers across the board are also getting ready. Walmart opened three new fulfillment centers, 36 drone delivery hubs, and Target is adding 100,000 workers just for this holiday shopping season. I mean, it's all look, it all looks mm-hmm. cool, especially yeah. the robots. Yeah. But you don't have to wonder about the folks who used to actually have those jobs, like the, the people. Right. And that is a question I asked when we were there. And Amazon insists their data proves otherwise, that they are adding jobs as they are adding robotics. They, in fact, say that they've added hundreds of thousands of new jobs hmm. and 700 job categories. But, yes, you're right. The person who might be lifting those shelves right. or lifting those totes is a different person. They may now need to brush up on engineering skills or different kinds of critical thinking. But the idea is really interesting because they want to remove anything that's mundane and allow humans to use higher level critical thinking skills, things that make us more human. So that's the goal with these robots. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you, Vicky. Yeah. All right. Let's go over to Al. He's got the forecast for us. Hey, Al. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Hey, take a look here. This is Great Falls, Montana. They had windy conditions, and it blew all these tumbleweeds right on up into these houses. You try to move this uh, tumbleweed out, that's a, that's a real mess. All right. Well, we go out west. We are looking at uh, heat advisories through Thursday from Southern California all the way to San Francisco. 11 million people. Look at some of these temperatures over the next couple of days. Upper 80s to the low 90s from Los Angeles, Fresno, San Jose, down into Blythe, El Cajon as well. And then we are today looking at warm weather from Chicago. Chicago, Kansas City, Denver, 71, Phoenix, 100 degrees, Santa Fe, 79, and we've got more warm weather tomorrow. Not so warm here in the east, but from Rapid City, Wichita, Dallas, on into Phoenix. You, you guys okay over there? You may have mispronounced the name of a city. No, he did. He no, he didn't. He, he said did. Cajon. He said El Cajon. El Cajon. El Cajon. That's right. Oh, I heard something different. I heard something Because that's what he said. I said El Cajon. Okay. okay. How do you pronounce it? That's El Cajon. Fine. That's right. Let's just. We're going to check the tape. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 All right. We will. Guys, uh, new research out just this morning on the science of sleep. And if you're a snoozer, it may affect your morning routine. It may. We're going to get to that. Coming up on Popstar, guys, an inside look at Britney Spears' highly anticipated memoir. A lot of news on this yesterday, including uh, the secret about her decades-old relationship with Justin Timberlake that she is just now revealing. All right. And then we'll get a special steals and deals. This is 
packed with items for your home and wardrobe to keep you warm and cozy this fall and winter.